Welcome to Reimagining Atlantis. My name's Tori, and I'll be your host. Hello there, best listeners in the entire universe. I'm so glad that you're back for more of this weird craziness. I have been putting off this episode for a while now. I think just about everyone's eyes light up at the mention of the Sea Peoples, and I want to make sure I do it justice. It does seem to perfectly fit in, if you exclude the 9,000 years ago as fact, and ignore the triremes, because during the time of the reign of the Sea Peoples, they hadn't yet been invented. However, the first warship, the Pentaconter, was already invented and used. I really do feel like there should probably be two episodes on the subject, so I may bring it up again, because there were a lot of details I skimmed over trying to keep this podcast within the 15 to 20 minute length. I hope that this episode sparks some curiosity and you go searching for your own answers. While you're listening to this episode, I want you to keep in mind that the Trojan War lasted about 10 years. The Greeks didn't just sit on the shores of Troy, but ventured out and sacked neighboring kingdoms, presumably traveling south down the shore. There are also some reports that the Greeks conquered further inland as well. What would happen to any country if their leader left and was at war for 10 years, even today? What happens to the remaining people who invaded the Greek onslaught? What would you do if someone came and destroyed your city? You'd probably pick up what little bit of belongings you have left and go to a new one, right? After the Trojan War, there was a storm, and most leaders actually never made it back home. The few that did were killed, like Agamemnon. There are some exceptions to this rule, but most leaders had a country in despair after the war. Menelaus' homebound fleet was blown by storms to Crete, and Egypt, where the winds remained calm and they were unable to sail away. It took eight years for Menelaus to return back to Sparta. It took Odysseus ten years to return back to Ithaca and lost all of his men along the way. So this episode is mainly going to focus on the correlation between the ancient Greeks and the sea peoples. Scholars commonly accept that the names given by the Egyptian pharaohs are the Egyptian names for the many different tribes of the ancient Greeks. My sources, as always, are linked in my episode description, and I used worldhistory.org on the Sea Peoples, Wikipedia on Walusa, Wikipedia on the Returns Home from Troy, and creeklegendsandmyths.com about the first hacking of Troy. They came from the sea in their warships, and none could stand against them. That passage was recorded from a stele at Tanis within the Nile Delta of Egypt. Ancient inscriptions do not name the coalition as Sea Peoples. This is actually a modern-day designation first coined by the French Egyptologist Gaston Maspero in circa 1881 CE. Maspero came up with the term because the ancient reports claim that these tribes came from the sea or from the islands, but they never say which sea or which islands. And so, 
the Sea People's origin remains unknown. Names of the tribes, which comprise the Sea Peoples, have been given in Egypt records as Chardin, Shekelesh, Luka, Tersha, and Akawasha. Outside Egypt, they also assaulted the regions of the Hittite Empire, the Levant, and other areas around the Mediterranean coast. Their origin and identity has been suggested and debated to be Etruscan, Trojan to Italian to Philistine, Mycenaeans, and even Minoan. But as no accounts discovered thus far shed any more light on the question than what was presently known, any such claims must remain mere conjecture. The Sea Peoples were a confederacy of naval writers who harried the coastal towns and cities of the Mediterranean region between 1276 BCE and 1178 BCE, concentrating their efforts especially on Egypt. They are considered one of the major contributing causes to the Bronze Age collapse, and were once regarded as the primary cause. The Sea Peoples are incredibly mysterious. Because we have so little material to work with, most of what we know comes from two Egyptian inscriptions from the reigns of Merneptah and Ramses III. In the late 13th centuries BCE, Merneptah fought off an invasion by northerners coming from all lands, alternatively referred to as peoples of the sea, whom he listed as the Equish, Tarshish, Luca, Sheridan, and Shekelesh peoples. Ramses III later describes two great battles fought against the quote-unquote the foreign countries and their islands and notes that quote-unquote no land could stand before their arms. He lists the invaders as Peleset, Tejeker, Shekelesh, Dinyan, and the Washash peoples. The Sea Peoples attacked Egypt twice within 30 years, once during Meneptah's reign and the next under his son Ramses III. The dates of the attacks on Egypt coincide with the two attacks on Troy, the first led by Heracles and the other led by Agamemnon. The Ten Tribes of the Sea Peoples coincides with the Ten Kings of Atlantis. In the Iliad, under the Catalog of Ships, there are 29 tribes listed as a united front, of which 22 are named. As a reminder, here's Plato. This vast power, gathered into one, endeavored to subdue at a blow to our country and yours, and the whole of the region within the straits. And then, Solon, your country shone forth in the excellence of her virtue and strength among all mankind. She was preeminent in courage and military skill, and was the leader of the Hellenes. And when the rest fell off from her, being compelled to stand alone, after having undergone the very extremity of danger, she defeated and triumphed over the invaders, and preserved from slavery those who were not yet subjugated, and generously liberated all the rest of us who dwelt within the pillars. But afterwards, there occurred violent earthquakes and floods, and in a single day and night of misfortune, all your warlike men in a body sank into the earth, and the island of Atlantis in like manner disappeared into the depths of the sea.
The classical era Greeks were well-versed in Homer. While Plato may not have believed in the gods, it's a fair assessment that most of his audience did. They would have been and seen many reenactments of the Trojan War. However, I can't help but to notice some similarities between the Trojan War and the Sea Peoples. Troy, originally known as Ilium, had been founded four generations after the Deluge. For Ilius was the great-grandson of Dardanus, one of the survivors of the Great Flood. Ilius would change the name of Ilium to Troy, named for Tros, Ilius' father, and the city prospered. Ilius would be succeeded to the throne by Troy by his son Lamedon, and under Lamedon, Troy became one of the richest cities in the ancient world. The inhabitants of Troy would be under the Hittite Empire. Now, the Hittites had a language close to what the Mycenaean Greeks spoke called Luwian. Hattusa was the capital of the Hittite Empire, and within the kiln was a tablet found which speaks of a city that most historians agree could be Troy. The Hittites called the area Walusa. Well, you might think, Walusa doesn't sound anything like Troy. Well, you're correct. Troy was referred to as Ilium, or the city of Ilus, which is where the Iliad gets its name. To make matters more confusing, it is implied that there was once a hidden W for William, and that was dropped later. William is similar to Walusa. Now, for even more confusing information. Paris, the prince of Troy, who took off with Helen, was born with the name of Alexandros. You see, a Trojan seer predicted that this son would be the fall of Troy, so baby Alexandros was sent out by his parents with their chief herdsman, Aegilus, to remove the child and kill him. The herdsman was unable to use a weapon against the infant, left him exposed on Mount Ida, hoping he would perish there. Alexandros was suckled by a she-bear. The chief herdsman returned back after nine days. Aegilus was astonished to find the child still alive and brought him home in a backpack to rear as his own. The backpack was called Para. So Aegilus renamed Alexandros to the name Paris for backpack. The Hittites have a letter written to King Alexandru of Walusa. Alexandru sounds close to Prince Alexandros. Walusa has been identified with the archaeological site of Troy. This correspondence was first proposed in 1924 by M.O. Forer, who also suggested that the name Ayawa corresponds to the Homeric term for the Greeks, which he uses many, but one of them would be Achaeans. Forer's work was primarily motivated by linguistic similarities since Belusa was associated with the place name of Tarusa, showing how striking parallels to the Greek name Wilios and Troia, respectively. Subsequent research on the Hittite geography has lent these identifications additional support, and they are now generally accepted by scholars, though they are not regarded as firmly established. King Priam is also a nickname given to him by the Greeks. He was born Patroclus to King Lamedon. Do you remember when Heracles Alcides went to Troy to get the horses of Lamedon? He also launched a war with the Amazons and brought them back to Theseus as a war prize. 
Heracles Alcides took Hesanine, who was strapped to a rock and ultimately was given to Telamon, who was Alcides's friend, who was the prince of Aegina and would become Achilles' uncle as he was the brother of Peleus, Achilles' father. <sighs> Genealogy is great, isn't it? Anyway, Poseidon and Apollo tried to oust Zeus from heaven and failed, so he punished them by stripping them of their godhood and sent them to build the walls of Troy for King Lamedon. Lamedon and human Poseidon and Apollo agreed to a staggering amount to build this wall, but once Poseidon was done, Lamedon gave him an itemized receipt of overpriced accommodations that human Poseidon had incurred whilst building this wall. It was said to have been 30 feet high and 10 feet thick. Because of Lamedon's shrewdness, Poseidon promised revenge and sent Heracles to eventually destroy those walls. He came with six ships and probably defeated the Amazons during that time as well. He also killed every potential leader of Troy except for the youngest child, Podroclus. When negotiating for the release of his sister, Hesanine, Podroclus offered the Golden Veil of Aphrodite, lending his name Priam, which means to buy in ancient Greek. Alternatively, Priam could mean exceptionally courageous in Luwian, which was the language that was similar to Greek spoken by the inhabitants of Troy or the Hittite Empire. The Trojan War lasted for 10 years. After the war, the gods were very angry over this destruction of their temples and other sacrilegious acts by the Achaeans and decided that most Greeks would not return home. A storm fell on the returning fleet off Atenos Island. Archaeological evidence suggests that Troy, level 6, which is more likely to be Homer's Troy with the Great Walls, showed that the destruction came from an earthquake and not a siege. Troy 7 was substantially smaller and rebuilt without the gray walls, but that does have evidence of a siege. So here's a proposition. What if the Greeks actually didn't win the Trojan War? What if Homer was all propaganda to make Greece look better? What happened to the Greeks after they gave up after 10 years? They obviously wouldn't want to return back empty-handed. Did they find out that Helen was actually in Egypt and then steered the Armada towards Egypt? Sacrilege, I know. Since Odysseus took about 10 years to make it home, and very few leaders or kings actually made it back to their home countries, there are two large invasion attempts on Egypt ranging within 30 years. We have the 10 named tribes of the sea people, which mirror the 10 kings of Atlantis. We have 1,186 ships, which mirror the 1,200 ships of the Atlantean kings. I have a few ideas of what could have happened. Now I am going to reiterate that this next section will be purely conjecture on my side. I like to have an idea and try to make that idea work with ancient texts. So what if the Sea Peoples were actually the Greeks after Heracles made his expedition against Lamedon? Remember, Heracles still had other labors after he went to get the belt of Hippolyte. 
The men set off to Troy, where they found the people suffering the consequences of their leader Lamadon's failure to pay the promised wages of the two laborers. The laborers had been the gods in disguise, Apollo and Poseidon. So when Lamadon reneged, Apollo sent a pestilence and Poseidon sent a sea monster. An oracle had told the people the way out of their troubles was to serve up Lamadon's daughter, Hezanine, to the sea monster. So they had done so by fastening her to the rocks of the sea. Heracles volunteered to rectify the situation and rescue Hezanine on the condition that Lamadon would give him the mares, which Zeus had given him to compensate for Ganymedes' abduction. Heracles then killed the sea monster, rescued Hezanine, and asked for his mares. The king, however, hadn't learned his lesson, so Heracles, unrewarded, threatened to wage war on Troy. Heracles returned to Troy with six ships of men and killed Laomedon and family, leaving only infant Priam to succeed the throne. So what happened after that? Could he and his armada travel down to Egypt? After all, it was eight years after getting Hippolytus' belt that Eurystheus asked for the cattle of Geryon and then the golden apples of the Hesperides. Merneptah, the son of Ramses the Great, had ruled Egypt from 1213 to 1203 BCE he had his greatest challenge that came from the west. Libyans had penetrated the buffer territory west of the Delta Oasis and were encroaching on Egyptian lands. About 1209 BCE, Merneptah learned that some sea peoples, wanderers who had been displaced from Asia Minor and the Aegean lands, were raising the Middle East or destroying it. The Greeks ended up joining and arming the Libyans, and with them were conspiring to attack Memphis and Heliopolis, the great administrative and religious centers near the Delta's apex. Merneptah named some of the attacking tribes in his stele, the wretched fallen chief of Libya, Miryaye, son of Dead, has fallen upon the country of Tenayu with his bowmen, Sheridan, Shekelish. Echoesh, Luca, Tarshesh, taking the best of every warrior and every man of war of his country. He has brought his wife and his children, leaders of the camp, and he has reached the western boundary in the fields of Piri. Then, a generation, or approximately 30 years later, King Agamemnon launched a war against Troy over the kidnapping of Helen of Sparta. Eratosthenes dates the Trojan War to around 1184 BCE, which is 22 years after the first battle of the Sea Peoples. The Trojan War lasted for 10 years, which puts us at 32 years after the Battle of the Sea Peoples Part 1. Then, the second Battle of Sea Peoples launched a battle with Merneptah's son, Ramses III. Several civilizations collapsed around 1175 BCE leading to the suggestion that the Sea Peoples may have been involved at the end of the Hittite, Mycenaean, and Matini kingdoms, says the American archaeologist Harry Beckman, and he writes the following. The date for the destruction of the Hittite Empire has been recognized in an inscription carved at Medinet Habu in Egypt in the eighth year of Ramses III. This text narrates a contemporary great movement of peoples in the eastern Mediterranean as a result of which the quote, the lands were removed and scattered into the fray. No land could stand before their arms from Hatti, Cody, 
Carchemish, Arzawa, Alicia on being cut off, meaning cut down. Tentative identifications of the Sea Peoples listed in Egyptian documents are as follows. Echoish, a group of Bronze Age Greeks, probably the Achaeans or Ayawa and Hittite texts. Tarshish, which could be the Tyrrhenians. They're known to the later Greeks as sailors and pirates from Anatolia. Ancestors of the Etruscans. Luca, a coastal people of western Anatolia, also known from Hittite sources. Their name survives in classical Lycaea on the southwest coast of Anatolia. Sheridan probably would be the Sardinians. The Shirin acted as mercenaries of the Egyptians in the Battle of Kadesh in 2299 BCE. Shekelesh, probably identical with the Sicilian tribe called Siculi. And Peliset, generally referred to as and believed to be the Philistines, who perhaps came from Crete and were the only major tribe of the Sea Peoples to settle permanently in Palestine. Of course, the coincidences don't end there. After the Battle of the Sea Peoples Part 2, there was a series of earthquakes that happened all around the Mediterranean, deemed an earthquake storm. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. Your support means everything to me. If you want to help make this podcast grow, please subscribe and tell just one other person about this podcast today. We are each our own hero in this story we call life. That means one person has the power to change everything. Who is the one person you tell today, hero? Let's help keep Atlantis alive, or at least reimagined. A new episode will be released every Thursday at 9 p.m. See you then.